Yesterday afternoon, I dropped off Anna for a birthday party. Car Happy birthday, Carly. I dropped off Anna, and Aaron was starting a project in his garage, putting up some high shelving, and he was getting a little frustrated. Like, nothing ever works when you start to build something, right? It's all, never like the YouTube video or the instructions say it's going to be. And then whenever I got back, picked, picked her up at whatever it was, 9.30, 10, 10.30 at night, walked in the garage, and it was all done, and it was beautiful. And I thought, I wish I could do that. <laughs> Aaron, like a lot of you guys, is, is, in my opinion, pretty handy. But sometimes I feel like I have a task that I am not the guy to do. I don't know if you feel that way. Maybe, maybe your thing, maybe you're great with building, but get on a computer and you're overwhelmed as soon as things start going wrong. Or, you know, there's... You're great with grown-ups, but if you're dealing with a two-year-old, you're a little, this is not where I belong. This is not my job. Whatever it is. And sometimes I think we can feel that way about evangelism. Our theme this year is sound forth the word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, where we see Paul is is saying to the Thessalonians, you have sounded forth the word of God. It's gone all over because of you, church, and we want to be that kind of church where the word sounds forth from us. Not one of us, not three of us, but all of us bringing with us the Lord. And it's going to look different for all of us, but the, the teaching of Scripture over and over again is that we all need to be ready to give an answer. We all need to confess Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we believe and therefore we speak. The two are inseparable. We owe a debt of love to each person. And there's, so there's this sense of, okay, I get it. I should do this. But I, I don't know if maybe I'm not the guy for it. I'm not the girl for it. You might say, I'm bad at talking. Which God might say, okay, Moses, and point back to Exodus 4. Or I'm not that eloquent, to which God might say, okay, Paul, and point to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he says, I didn't come with elegant words. I came with trembling. Sometimes that's how I fear, how I feel and fear whenever I walk up to someone knowing the conversation I'm about to have. And it doesn't always come across eloquent. And it doesn't have to. You might say, I'm not smart enough or strong enough. And the Lord might say to us, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. In other words, if you're willing to be used, God can use you. Not because of you, but because of him. So what one change would impact your discipling more than any other change you could make? Or to put it differently, what's the biggest difference between those who share the gospel regularly and those who don't? And don't take this wrong. This is convicting me as much as it's convicting maybe some of you. 
But here's the answer, I believe. They really want to. They really, really want to share the gospel. Now, what this can sometimes do to us is just feel like a hammer beating us up because we want to want to. And then we just feel guilty that we don't want to enough to actually do it. And that's not productive for anybody. So what we want to do is let God's word do its work in our hearts. Because what it does, what God does, is he, he hones and sparks and creates a different kind of affection in us, of love in us. How do we turn the corner and stoke the fire of genuine zeal for speaking? Well, to that end, this morning, we're going to look at three examples of unlikely speakers. Speakers who might have said more than us, believe me, I'm not the guy for this. In fact, you would never, if you were hiring for this position of a messenger for God, have chosen these people. And yet, they found a desire a desire to speak, and that is the core idea. And I'll just tell you up front right now, the big idea of this lesson is that we're all unlikely messengers, unfit without God's help. Our critical contribution to this mission isn't our know-how, isn't our incredible skill, our amazing knowledge. It's our zeal, it's our commitment. And so we have to clarify why we want to speak and meditate on that and think about it and let that reason work in us. Why we speak. So let's look at these lessons from these three unlikely evangelists. I'm using that term as broadly as we could. Those who wanted to speak some good news. We're going to look at a demoniac a diseased group of people, and a dead man. And think about why they wanted to speak. First, there's the demoniac. Everybody knows who the Incredible Hulk is, right? No matter what generation, whether it's Lou Ferrigno or Mark Ruffalo or whoever it was, I think most people know about this very striking hero in the Marvel Universe. You know, there's this guy that just turns into a green angry, raging monster. And Jesus met a guy who didn't turn green, but when he got out of the boat in the Gerasenes, this guy had superhuman strength. People kept trying to chain him down in the area where the tombs were. And he kept breaking them out. This is just this graveyard full of broken chains. People would try to hold him down and he would break free. And he was mad and raging. He would scream in the night. He would cut himself. Why? Because he was possessed by unclean spirits. And when Jesus asks the, the demons within him, the name, their name, they say, we are legion. You know what legion means? This is the name they gave themselves to describe because it was, that's a military unit 
in Rome that describes around 6,000 infantrymen plus hundreds of cavalrymen. 6,000, like this is just a huge group. And the point is, as, as you see later, whenever Jesus cast them out into a herd of pigs, tons and tons of pigs, I just can't get that picture out of my head of them running off of a cliff into the water. These pigs that he, he cast these demons into, there are many, and it is overpowering this man. This man has an alien force within him that is making his life the essence of hell. I mean, hell has invaded his body. Just imagine if that were you. Imagine this is your lifestyle, howling at the moon and, and hurting yourself and being alone in the lonely places where no, the most unclean place for, a, you know, for someone to be and this place where you're just with the bones because no one else is going to be with you. Now imagine that Jesus comes and takes it all away. Jesus gives you your life. Jesus changes everything. Would you have something to say about Jesus? You bet you would. You know what this man wanted to do? He begged Jesus in verse 18. Let me come with you. Let me be with you always. Ever felt that way? <laughs> I just want to go be with you. But Jesus says no, and here's why. Because you have a mission. You are going to prepare the way. You are going to speak to all of the Gentiles and all of the regions of the Decapolis. All of the ten cities are going to hear about me because of you. You have a story to tell that is your story, but it's really not about you. It's a story about Jesus. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And people were amazed. Jesus didn't permit him to go. He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him. And everyone marveled. This word for proclaim is the same word that's used of Jesus preaching Preaching to the people, just as Jesus and the disciples are going throughout the Jewish world proclaiming this message, this man is going preaching this message, proclaiming this message about Jesus. And so the key word here is this phrase, how much, this key word, much. The muchness of what Jesus did for him was the reason he wanted to speak. And the more you think about how much Jesus did for you, is still doing for you, for me, the more we'll want to talk about it. It becomes quite a story that we have to tell.
What would you want to tell people about Jesus if he assigned you that mission? What if he said, I know you want to come and be with me, but you got something to do before you do that. You have a mission. Because guess what? He has exactly what he has said. Go and make disciples and teach them and baptize them. We have much to say. You think about how much you do for Jesus. You know, there's that song we sing sometimes, follow me. I, I gave up fame and fortune. I'm worth a lot to thee. And then I hear him say to me, you didn't give up anything compared to what I gave up for you. How much has other people, how much has your mom done for you? I bet quite a bit. How much has your best friend done for you? And you think about how grateful you are and how much you love them. How much other people have done for you. This is a little, little chart for you. <laughs> this is not to scale. <laughs> how much have you done for yourself and how much the Lord has done for you? Jesus said twice in that, those two verses, it says to tell people how much the Lord has done for you. That's the point. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 2, the whole purpose, the making of the church, this new people, you are a, a holy priesthood, a kingdom, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may, what? Proclaim, same word, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you're talking about how excellent he is, you're on purpose, you're on mission. And so when we think about our story, everybody likes to talk about themselves, it seems like, or a lot of people do. Go on social media, you'll find out. Everybody's got something to say about their vacation or about whatever, and that's okay. And, and there's the Bible, there's, there's the Lord's story, and that is our mission, is to tell the Lord's story. And there is this access point that we talked about in our evangelism class, this opportunity that maybe somebody who isn't ready to hear you give a three-point outline about salvation, but they love you, and they're ready to... To hear, because they've noticed something different about you. They're ready to hear why you're so different and what the Lord is doing for you. You have that story to tell, and that opens up. I'm not talking about just giving a testimonial about the Lord has been good to me. How were you saved? What did it mean? What did Jesus do to bring about that salvation? You just told the gospel story. You just told what someone needs to be saved. And that's what this garrison demoniac is told to do. This is one way to start. You know, this is how Paul starts in Acts 22. He tells his story pointing to the Lord. There are other ways to start, like the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip says? Or let's reason together. Or here's 
some thoughts and some questions about this unknown, this um, altar to the unknown God. Our main point here is not the method, but the motivation. This is how much the Lord has done for you. The second group we want to look at are the diseased. This is, you know, some of the Old Testament stories and the kings are just rough to read. And this is one of them. It was a horrible time during a siege by the Syrian people on Samaria. And there was a famine because of it. And the people, so bad that people resorted to cannibalism. And if you want to know what kind of, how bad that is, not for the faint of heart, you can read about it in 2 Kings 7, verses 6 to 8. When, when the king heard about it, he tore his garments. What kind of cannibalism we're talking about? This is how hungry and desperate people are, though. Though it's no justification for that. And so these, during this horrible time, I'm sorry, that was 2 Kings 6, 28 to 29. But these four lepers used to sit in the gates of the city. And they're starving too, just like everybody else. So they're like outcasts from the people. But they're hungry and in the same boat as everybody. And they think, what do we have to lose? Let's just go to this besieging army and see if they have mercy on us. And if they kill us, we were going to die anyway. And so at twilight, they creep up to the edge of the Syrian camp. You know what they find? No one is there. Completely abandoned. Because God had made them hear the sound of horses and chariots, and they ran away. So these lepers walk up. No one in the camp. But guess what is there? A feast fit for a king. So much food, they don't know what to do with themselves. And riches. And so they eat their fill. They stuff themselves. And then they stuff their pockets and go and hide and hoard all of the treasure that they can think of. And then they realize, wait a minute. It says in verse 9, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. There's a difference between a day that's your lucky day and a day that's a day of good news. Not everything is about us. Sometimes there's good news for everyone. We're going to sing in a little bit. The gospel is for all. It is for me. It is for you. It's for everybody out there too. It's for anyone who will receive it. Now an interesting thing ha happens here. They go and they tell the, the people what they found. And the people are paranoid. It's too good to be true. It can't be. There's no such thing as a free lunch. They said, oh, the Syrians must be camping out, waiting for us to just, like a bunch of fools, come in, and then they're going to attack us. Now think about this. If they decided, that's a bunch of hogwash, I'm not going to come. Is that the responsibility of the lepers? Are they not doing what is right? 
they did what they could. They could just go enjoy the feast and tell everybody that they can, hey, every day we go and have a feast. You can have it too. They come or they don't, but they did their part. And that's true for us too. You know, we talked about that in the Living Water series. We say come, and the thirsty have to drink, and the Spirit says come. We have a part, but we are not the majority partner in this project, but we have to speak. We have to find our way, some way, to share, to say, I have been blessed with this, and it's not right that I alone, of all the people I know, keep eating, and I don't tell them about the feast. There's this quote that I love from uh, from. D, what is it, D.T., you find it, D.T. Niles. He says, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Isn't that the truth? Nothing different in me. I'm a sinner too, except that I have chosen to come and the Lord keeps changing me and he keeps making me what he wants me to be as I keep showing up and receiving his grace and mercy. The key word here in this passage is right. What is right? Paul talks about it as a debt of love. I owe everyone, he says in Romans 1, 14 and 15. And then he says, because of that, I, I speak the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. What is right? What is good? And so this gives us another access point, another why. Another reason to meditate on. It's very powerful for me to think about people I love. It is natural to want to warn the people you love. Now, it can get us all, all you know, so worked up that maybe we... We lose our way in how to speak to them. We have to know we can't make them do it. And that is hard. But we can share it and keep praying and keep showing up with a word, with an invitation, with a message. So the third group we're going to look at here evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread this third person actually didn't get to share the message tragically he discovered too late that he wanted to speak this happens in jesus parable i don't know if it's a fictional character in jesus story it's interesting that lazarus is given a name that's the only place where there's a a real name given in Jesus' parables, but that doesn't necessarily mean this is, these are real people. But Jesus tells this story about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man ignored Lazarus as he was, you know, suffering and having difficulty. And at the end of their lives, the rich man goes to this place of blessing, and he's with Abraham. And the, sorry, Lazarus goes to the place of blessing, he's with Abraham. The rich man goes to torment. And in torment, he gets it. You know, 
You face consequences and you get it. You get it the moment after you leave here in a way you never got it before. But it's too late then. It's too late for us to make the right choice and it's too late to share that message with others at that point. And so he says to Abraham, I'm begging you, send someone to my father's house. I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. I'm begging you, please. There's no hope for me, but I want to speak a message or someone needs to do it. Get this message out to the people I care about. And he's told they have Moses and the prophets. Even if somebody rose from the dead, they wouldn't believe it. Perhaps Jesus pointing ahead to those who wouldn't believe in his resurrection after he raises from the dead, resoundingly giving evidence of his lordship. But he wants this warning. And that's a, the key word here is warn. You want to give a warning, right? When we reflect on the need of the people around us, those we love and those we don't even know, we start to think about our responsibility, like a watchman on the city gates, as, or on the wall, as the prophets talk about it, or as Jeremiah says, I don't want to tell, you remember our study of Jeremiah a few years ago, Jeremiah didn't want to do it anymore. He just wanted, he was so depressed and he just wanted to stop. But he said, if I say, I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary with holding it in and I cannot. The more we see the situation, the harder it gets to fight speaking. My in-laws are here, and uh, there's this story that Adrian's family likes to tell about her first words. So, so she didn't talk for a long time, as I've heard the story. And she has, you, so many of you know her older sister, Nicole, and Nicole, kind of like Nadia does for Evie sometimes, Nicole would speak for her. Adrian wants some water. Adrian needs juice. I think Adrian's sad. And she went a long time, and it's starting to get weird that she hadn't spoken yet. And then one day, they're sitting at the table, and Adrian says, may I please have some mashed potatoes? She didn't say a word. She said a sentence. Whenever she had something that she really, really wanted to say, she figured out how to do it. She, she, just, she just didn't have anything before that that she wanted to say. And we find a way. We find a way to do these things. There's two business writers that I like. One is Michael Hyatt, who says, people lose their way when they lose their why. And another writer, Peter Block, has a book that's titled, The Answer to How is Yes. In other words, you figure out how when you're motivated enough by your why to do it. 
you know how to speak when you decide you have something you need to say. And this is not to say that the question of methods and messages are are unimportant. And we're going to talk more at the end of this month about the how, some, some practical ways that are not designed to be you know, something you have to be some master at in order to share the gospel. You, there's so many ways to get the word out, to find something you can do. And many of you are, are doing it. So many of you are doing that in so many different ways. But it's helpful for me to remember that sometimes the focus on how can, can be a red herring. Because we can become masters of methods and we can have this great sense of the message and memorize that message we want to say. But if we don't have the motivation, we won't speak. And so we have to focus, keep coming back again and again to the why. To the why are we speaking? Biblical knowledge and evangelistic know-how won't get the job done unless we pair them with evangelistic zeal. And we can find that in a lot of places. There's not one magic key to unlock all of this. There's love, love for God, love for Jesus. There's gratitude to Jesus. There's concern for others, like we were talking about, even fear for others. There's joy, overflowing joy that we want to talk about. There's a sense of devotion and obedience to Christ. There's a sense of purpose and mission in your life. This is what I'm here for. Now I get it. I have a target. I have a sense of why I am to partner with God and build his kingdom. We have to center in and clarify why it is. Have clarity about why we're committed to sharing this. There's a show that Adrian and I like. It's called Sports Night, old 90s show. And this, this guy who's a sportscaster, he wants to get involved and, and to do good. And he's trying to figure out, he realizes he needs to give more of his money. He's a rich kid. He needs to give more of his money to charity. And so he's, he's talking to everybody about what do you give it to? What, what are you involved with? And everybody tells him, he's like, I don't know. And finally, this girl says, you know, I don't have very much. I'm not high up in the company like you, but I try when I can to make a check out to this. And I tried to volunteer over here, but you know what the key is? Get in the game. Get in the game. Do something. Get involved. We talked about last week. Love gets involved and gets engaged. You have a story to tell, but the story we all need to keep pointing back to is the story of the one who came and died for our sins and rose again and can save us today. He has the power to save each one of us. This message is good news indeed. Jesus' kingdom has come. The king reigns. The king is holding the victory in his hands, having already defeated sin and evil. 
and looking forward to that day when death is gone forever and sin is gone forever and we can be with him in that new place.